0: book of Esther, and he is not a father by choice. He is an adoptive father. Um, we don't know much about his, his life uh, as far as his up until we meet Esther. So we don't know if he's married, if he has kids of his own. He, he may be raising a, 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 a young girl all by himself, which is scary enough to think about. But we know that he chooses to bring in his family member and raise her as his own. Um, we know that Mordecai lived about 500 years before Christ uh, in, a, in a as a minority in an oppressed land. Um, and so, if you if you study the book of Esther, matter of fact, uh, interesting fact about Esther: Esther is one of two books that does not actually have the word uh, or the name of God in it. Um, and so, you'll never you won't find God in the book of Esther. You also won't find God in the book of Song of Solomon. Um, And so, you know, a lot of times there's that that this conversation about, you know, should it belong in the Bible? Right. Uh, But there's so many great biblical lessons that we find through Esther and and studying who she was and studying the story of of what happened uh, there. So many of the Jews had returned to Jerusalem because during the period of 70 years of captivity, uh, the Babylonian had ended. So, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he takes all of the, uh, he takes control of the Israelite nation. He he brings a bunch of them. We remember uh, Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all of that. So we get to the 70-year end reign of that. Uh, the Persians, or what the Bible calls the Chaldeans, had overcome the Babylonians and been uh Strangely kind to the Jews, so we get to this end of the seventy years, and 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 now it's kind of they've they've kind of you know become friendish. You should say you could say. Consequently, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Zerubbabel, prophets and leaders of, of the Israel uh, during that time, led three different f- expeditions from the city of Susa, or the area of Persia, back to Jerusalem. But there were some who chose to remain in. This land, this non-Jewish land, and what you find as you look at the book of Esther, it's the only account in the Bible of the Jews who chose to remain in Persia after the captivity. An interesting insight into the lifestyle and the ways and the means of those people who stayed behind. So, you know, the the Israelite nation, they kind of moved together, and they got split up at some point. Uh, there was uh, Judah, and then there was the other eleven tribes, right? And then there was the this takeover of the Babylonians and and this splitting. And, and as we get to the end of that, you get to Nehemiah, right? Where we read the book of Nehemiah, where they're rebuilding the wall of the city and people are coming back. Well, there is a group of people that stay in Persia, and that's where we get the story of Esther and Mordecai. Okay? So I say all that just kind of give you an idea. I think it's good to know kind of like what's going on in the heads of people as we're reading about them that it becomes alive. It's no longer just this story like a novel, but these are real people that live uh, testimonies of their life. Now, it may have been a while since you thought about the book of Esther, and we've seen the movie, and we, we focus in on Esther because she was queen, and, and the story's a lot about her, her growing up and her learning to, to do God's will in that. But I want to review a few of the characters that we um, interact with in the book of Esther. And the first of all, the one that we're going to focus on today is Mordecai. Mordecai is a key player in the drama of Esther. We don't know what he did for a living, but we do know this, that Mordecai was probably an important person because often we find him at the city gates where decision makers linger to make decisions. So, So he had some say in what was going on, he had some authority or some influence in the surrounding area, especially within the Israelite people that were there in Persia. We know he was Jewish, and we know he he adopted his cousin, her name being Hadassah, which is Persian for dazzling beauty. And this um, story already, like, it, it, you know, that's why they make movies out of it. It, it. it kind of gets you all like, wow, like what happened to Hadessa's uh, parents? And, and I, I wish, I, you know, it's one of those things when we get to heaven, like you want to find Esther and be like, so what happened? Like Mordecai, what, what brought you to this point? And, and Esther, how did you get here? And so her Jewish name, Hadessa, which is the Persian name, her Jewish name is Esther. And so that's how we know her. She is so beautiful that she catches the eye of king, King Xerxes. Okay, now this king, uh, he is, he is the man, right? This guy is like, he is just amazing. He is the king over hundred and diff- twenty different providences. That's a lot of rulers. That's a lot of ruling. That's a lot of authority. That's a lot of leadership that has to be in place. His leadership ran, uh, ran from India all the way down to Ethiopia. Yeah, some of you are gonna go home and look at a map. Like, how big is that? So he had a, a massive amount of, of people and places to rule over. He, was, he wasn't just viewed as just a king, but in, in his culture, he was viewed as a god because of how powerful he was. And when he spoke, it was law. It was so much law to the point where he couldn't even change his own law. If he spoke something, he couldn't even change it. That's how powerful his word was. And so here's some of these players. You got King Xerxes, you got Esther, you got Mordecai, and we're gonna add a couple more into this as we progress through all of this. You may be going, why do we need to know the history lesson? Because it's important to know the power of Mordecai as a father and the power of his words and his, and his lifestyle, knowing all that goes into place with these players. So one that, that we will kind of launch over is King Xerxes was married, he was married to Queen Vashti. Now, here's how the book of Esther opens up. Esther opens up with a big party. Amen? Um, so, so King is like, man, let's throw a party. Now, listen, he didn't just throw a party. He threw a six-month party, 180-day party. That's a party. Now, we, we know a little bit about these that, that most, like, most of the time women were not involved. This was like a guys-only club. Uh, unless you were probably like a concubine or, you know, and I'd rather not go too deep into that, let your mind go there. But, you know, um, but that's, that's the reality. Like, you know, it was a, it was <laughs> a gentleman's club. Um, six-month party, they ate, they lavished, they brought women in that weren't their wives and, and, and all sorts of things. And then at the end of that party, they had the after party. So they had a six-month party that wasn't enough. And so King Xerxes says, let's have a seven-day after party. And he invites his wife. Now, women, if you were invited to an after party, after six months of your husband partying with people that weren't you and women that weren't you, um, you'd probably be like Queen Vashti and say, Forget you. I'm not coming to your party. You little hoodlum. I'm not doing it. You little, you know, you like your little party, you go do your thing. I'm gonna stay right here with my girls, okay? And that was Queen Vashti's. The problem is, is that she didn't have that kind of authority. And so the king said, well, forget you and your title. You're no longer queen. And, he, and now he could have killed her, and that was part of the conversation, right? But, but he said, I'm going to abolish her. I'm going to send her off, and she's no longer going to be queen. And so now this beauty pageant begins. And this is what we know of, of the book of Esther, that, that, that the king says, okay, all 127 providences, you leaders, go get the most beautiful virgins in your land. Go and they scour the land, and Esther is one of those ladies, and she comes and they listen. They get pampered; it's like a spa. They get treated well. It's it is everything that you want it to be. It's I mean they're lavishing you with all sorts of smelly good stuff, and you know hot spring baths, and they they even get to go into the king's private jewelry store and pick something out. And 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 that's the story of Esther, and that's how we we get to where we're at. And as as we know, he. Queen Esther, or she picks Esther to be his queen. But here's how we are introduced to uh, Esther in this book. In chapter two, verse seven, it says this: This man had a very now. This man, being uh, Mordecai, had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Adasa, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. What a beautiful statement. He did not treat her as second best. He did not treat her as that family member. Words are powerful. And the words written, he he brought her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. And so the first point I want to make and 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 mind you I'm gonna talk about fathers but this can apply to all of our lives because fathers mothers aunts uncles whoever you are you spiritual parents this can this impacts you but the first thing we learn about Mordecai is good fathers keep deciding to be fathers good fathers decide to be they have to decide it's not something listen um I will say this, and, 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 and I'm, I'm blanket statement here, so please don't come up to me and go, well, I've been a good father since birth. Okay, so good for you, gold star, okay? But for the most part, I will say guys have a harder time be, like learning how to be the parent, being a parental figure than mothers. Mothers, you carry this child in your womb. You are connected in ways that we will never, ever, 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 ever want to know and all the fathers in the room said amen listen there's just things that I, listen i'm i'm glad i'm a, i'm a dude okay but but because of that there's an emotional attachment you don't you know we we get to grab the hand and put it on the belly and feel the kick you get to feel something from within there is a connection to that child and then when that baby's born as fathers our connection begins it's, it's the first time we hold our baby. It's the, it's, it's the first for us. It's that we're starting to get those emotional and spiritual connections. Then we're, we're playing catch up. And we're choosing to, to make decisions to be a father. We have uh, an interesting principle here about fatherhood that's worthy of this statement. Mordecai decided to be a father. Somehow in the great consequences of the events, this little girl was left with no mother or no father. And listen, he could have easily said, well, I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good potential father. I'll find you somebody else. I'll find you a good family to live with. Let's send you off to Jerusalem, get you out of the Persian country, and let's send you back to the Jewish culture. But something inside of him said, I choose to raise this child. And he made a decision to be not just somebody in her life, but to be her dad. Stephen Covey says uh, this, for example, says that every day all across America, fathers drive home from work, and some make that decision, and some of us don't, to be a dad. He says the wisest way to use your drive time home from work is to make the decision to once again adopt your children. Be a dad. Mentally go through the process of taking off that work hat and putting on the father hat. Mentally go through the process for whatever it means in your life of resigning from work and choosing to be a father and that's what Mordecai did. What a great principle to say when I come home, yes, life is still there, you may have had a bad day at work, but your kids don't know that and it's tough listen I, I'll speak as, as one who 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 has brought work home a lot who has who has allowed you know the, the decisions of the day to impact uh, the, the decisions of my night but I realize and I recognize the importance of shutting down whatever happened before I walked into that door because they need my attention, too. Whether you're a dad or a mom or a family member or just a really good friend or, like I said, a spiritual parent, something we lack a lot of because we don't talk about spiritual parents anymore. People that help. Now, listen, they don't take the place of moms and dads. They help spiritually raise with moms and dads. And sometimes it is in replacement, but sometimes it's along with. It's that village mentality. It's, there's people that, that, that you attach yourself to that, that help raise you in, in, in a spiritual mindset. And so some of you may go, well, I'm done raising kids. Good, grab another one and spiritually raise up the next generation. I don't know if I'm I'm, I'm a good fit. Do you think Mordecai even knew one thing to do with with Esther? Probably like, okay, what do I do? He may have had daughters. We don't know. He may have had only sons. He may have had no kids whatsoever. He said, I'm going to raise you, and I'm I'm going to invest in this life so that she knows that she is loved, she has purpose, and there's a plan for her life. And he's choosing to be a dad day in and day out. It's choosing to listen, choosing to show up, choosing to do the hard things and not just the easy and fun things. It's, you know, the, the last handful of years with with having a, a what I call a secular job. Um, one of the things that has been tough is like not being at all the games and all the things because my whole life I've always been at all the things. And so it's, it's, it's rushing from work. Sometimes begging, you know, I don't, wouldn't say begging, but just saying, hey, can I, can I work through my lunchtime so I can leave an hour early? So I can get to this or that, or be there for this or that. It's, it's, it's putting priorities where priorities are important because at the end of the day, and this is one thing that I think is so true, and it's not saying be a bad worker, but at the end of the day, your job will replace you. I just want you all to know, at work, You're replaceable. You are. If something was to happen to you tomorrow and you couldn't work anymore, the world moves on, but your family may not. And so we get to the end of our life, and we have to work, and we have to put in the time, and we have to take care of our family. We have to pay bills. That's all important. That's all part of kind of the the spiritual um, aspect of Genesis, right? God tells Adam, because of sin, we will toil the land we will work to take care of our families. That's part of our role as fathers. That's why it's innate in us. It's not innate in us to, to be emotional and, and connected all the time, but it is innate in us to, to want to take care of and provide and, and, and be the, the, the breadwinner and to make sure that our family has, even if we don't. It's, 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 it's that, that is what is spiritually in, ingrained into our lives because that's what God said. So he chooses See, the later, as we go through this, the, the plot is discovered. There are two people that Mordecai overhears near the gates of the city, plotting to overthrow the king. Their, kings are, their, their names are Bichthana and Teresh. They just sound like evil people. Like, who names their kids that? I'm, you know, I'm going to name you Bichthana. You know, and I'm probably saying that. It's probably some Persian uh, variation. that The T-H is silent or sounds like an F or I don't know. But, you know, still, nonetheless, sounds like a villain. And Mordecai overhears their plot, and he tells Esther, who is already queen, and Esther tells the right people, and the plan is thwarted. And uh, I want you to understand this. In chapter 2, verse 23, it says this, and it won't be up there, but it says, all this was written down in the daily courts, recorded in the king's presence. So the king hears that Mordecai saved his life. It's written down into the, the, the records, the newspaper of, of the king. And then we meet the true villain, Haman. He is egotistical. He is power hungry. He's all, he loves him some him. You know, he is the, the T.O. I love me some me. He he is all about that. Everything needs a revolver. It's so bad that the the book of Esther says that when he walks through the alleyways, he expects people to bow down to him. He's not even king. He's just the gopher boy, the right-hand man of the king. But he wants the power of the king. And so when he walks, he expects, and people bow down to him. And then he gets to Mordecai, and Mordecai just stands up like, I'm not bowing down to you. And it ticks Haman Haman gets a very bad taste in his mouth for Mordecai, and he's after him. He is so after Mordecai that it's not enough just to kill Mordecai. He wants to abolish all of his people, and that's where we get the story of saving the Israelite nation is Haman is so upset at the fact that Mordecai will not bow down to him, will not, not give him his proper dues that he goes to the king and he manipulates the king to say, these Jewish people are going to overtake us. We've got to do something about it. The king goes, oh, I don't want anybody to overtake me. Okay, on this date, we will abolish the, the Jewish nation. Now, could you imagine? <laughs> I just, this probably shouldn't be said, and I'm probably a bad pastor for saying this, but um, I was with somebody in a hospital um, just this week, they were dealing with a report that I was taking, and something bad and evil happened to, to this person, and they looked at me and they said, you know, for one day, I just wish we could have the purge. Like, that's an evil statement, but I, you gotta understand from somebody who had been, something bad had happened, and, and now they're broken in that midst. All they can think about is, I just wanna annihilate the evil that has come into my kid and mine's life. But it made me think, could you imagine sitting here as the Jewish people knowing your purge date and knowing that the only targets are your kind? And so the Jewish people are sitting there and they know on this certain date, everybody has free reign to kill them. Open season on the Jewish people. And so the story starts to unfold that Mordecai starts to press Esther into what it looks like to be a leader. And even in the, that midst, he is choosing to be, he could have said, you know what, I'm done. I'm gonna go into hiding. Esther's queen, she's good. I'm tucking and tail and running. Chose to be a father through it all. The second thing that we find through Mordecai is this, that children catch character from good fathers. Now, we can pause here for just a second and look at another characteristic of a good father. Please note the the built-in character of Mordecai. If you are acquainted with the book of Esther, you know that before the story is over, she's going to demonstrate courage that will save a nation. Where do you think she learned that from? Where do you think she got that? See, a crisis does not develop character. A crisis reveals character. I'm going to say that again. A crisis does not develop character. It reveals character. And so many times we get into crisis mode and we want things to change in our life. But the reality is is that crisis just reveals who we are. And that's why when we go into crisis mode and we go back to our, our lowest level or our worst levels or the things we don't like, it's because that's what we have developed within our character. The chewing people out, the cussing, the ranting, the raving, the hating, the, the self-loathing, the depression, the worry, the anxiety. It's because we have not worked those things out and instilled godly character before then. What happens in crisis is our character is revealed. And so here's Esther and the crisis comes. And listen, this, here's, here's what I want to say about this is that building characters is not an overnight thing. And he, I, I, here, let me tell you where, where I think we get it wrong in the church is that we equate salvation to sanctification. Okay, let me break that down just for a second so that you understand what I mean. Salvation is free and happens in a second. The moment you say, I want to follow Jesus, bam, you are a follower of Christ. You're still going to make mistakes. You're still you. Okay? But he has forgiven you, and he has said, child, come follow me. Sanctification is the process once you say, I choose to follow you, to get out the old and bad stuff that has become your identity and to put on a new identity in Christ. It is the changing of the guard. It's the changing of the character, the values and the morals in your life to line up in the image of Christ. That is not overnight. Okay? And and the problem in the church is that we think we want to push sanctification on people the same time that salvation happens. Well, why aren't you better? Why do you still act that way? Why do you still say those things? Because I've only known Jesus for two months, so get off my back. You're about to see the BC uh, version of me. Because, Because your 20 years of following Jesus isn't in me yet. And so the character of Esther is the fact that, could you imagine if Mordecai would have waited to raise her as a godly young woman when she became queen? (laughs) She would have got there and been like, sucks to be you. I live in the kingdom. I'm good. But see, it was everything that he was instilling in her as a young age that she would use as an older young lady as queen. Crisis reveals the character from women. Let me tell you uh, that that point number two, that character is not taught. Character is caught. It's something that we can, listen, parents, you know this. We can say things over and over again. But until they walk through it, or until they see it in action, sometimes they don't get it. It's when they see it. It's when they see you, when, when you say, hey, hey, don't say, don't, don't, don't go back and, and say bad things to people. But what happens, see, and, and, and we get those silly little stupid sayings, well, you know, don't, don't do as I say, do as I do. You know, or don't do as I do, do as I say, whatever the reverse of that is, yeah. Same thing, you know what I mean. Because we, are, we, we, want, to, we want to do whatever we want, but we want kids to be raised up a different way. It's why so many young people under the age of mid-twenties walk away from church, but then when they get married and have kids, they go, I want my kids to have a good foundation. But you walked away from it. So, so it's, it's reinstilling that it's not just do what I say. It's, hey, let me guide you and lead you. Let me not just say something, but let me portray it. So if you want your kids or, or your, aunt, your nephews or, or maybe I'll talk to the teachers in the room, you teachers, you want to change a culture, they've got to see it in you before they hear it in you. And all of us. That's why the world goes, why should I fill the church when, when, I, when I hear you say something, but I see your lives something else. And it, listen, once again, it's not about perfect, right? But it's about striving to look like Jesus. I want people to ask me why I am, I am different. Not perfect. Why are you different? What, what is in you that when, when, when crisis happens, you're not going into freak out mode? Well, it's because the character that I built in me and we want people, we want children, we want the next generation. We have got to stop telling the next generation, oh my God, your generation's going to hell in a handbasket. Lord Jesus, come. What are we telling them? You're not valuable enough for Jesus to not come because you're going to screw it all up. Why would they want to follow Jesus then? Do I want to go to heaven? Absolutely. Do I want him to come today? I don't know. If he came, I'd be excited. I know that much. Like, I'm not I'm not afraid of where I'm going. I know, I know I'm going, but can I tell you, like, I, I kind of like living here, doing my life? I, I think that, that Christians that are just looking, like living their life, looking for the horn, like, hey, Jesus coming trumpet soon. Like, they're useless. They're useless. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And what are we teaching our next generation? Don't worry about how you live. Just look, at, look towards Jesus because he's gonna come soon. Don't worry, just keep looking up. No, live your life. And live your life so focused on Jesus that you make a difference and you take people with you when he does come. And whether that's tomorrow or 10 years from now or 100 years from now, or maybe it's your great, great, great grandchildren. Who knows? But here's what I don't want. I don't want the next generation to go, I don't trust that you can do this and that you can live your life for Jesus, so I'm just praying that Jesus shows back up. Mordecai, he believes so much in Esther. I'll say it this way. Mordecai believes so much in Esther and and, and the area that Esther doesn't even believe in herself. Keeps living it out in front of her so that she keeps catching the character of God in him. Children don't like lectures. I don't like lectures. And, And the reality is, is conversations are good, but lecturing can only go so far. not saying there's not a place for it, but for the most part, it was Esther watching Mordecai her whole life and applying the character that she learned from him, the character that he got from God. And the best way to point the next generation to God is to live it out and to show them God's character through your life. Just like Mordecai, you may watch your loved ones go through tough situations, but if you have modeled godly character for them, they will have the tools and the characters to face today if they choose them. They will see they have seen it. They have been raised in it. You you won't you won't be able to say, well, I wish I would have. I wish I would have done this a little bit more. No. Hey, I made some mistakes, but I know that I chose God and I chose to live for him. And I modeled this and it may not have been perfect because nobody's perfect. Romans says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All all there's nobody in here that has not fallen short of that. But when we align ourselves with Jesus, he brings that target closer because he is perfect. And when we choose to follow him and we model sanctification, growing closer to Jesus for the next generation, then they know that what it means to look like Jesus doesn't mean three-piece suits and singing a couple of songs and marking the Sunday morning uh, checklist off. It's, it's that living at Wednesday when your boss is breathing down your neck or having a bad time in your household because bills are, are tight and everybody's at each other's throat. And it's saying, no, wait, let's pause. We're not going to act like this. We're not going to allow these things. We're going to get our finances in order. No, nope, we're not going to allow our marriage to crumble because we are going to trust in Jesus in the middle of all of this. And when your kids see that, they will choose differently. Why do, we, why, why, why do we expect children to be raised up in, a, in an environment where they trust marriage when 54% of Christian households end in failed marriages? Our statistic is no different than the outside world when it comes to marriages. Why? Because we have not applied biblical principles and character to say, I'm going to fight for this even when it gets hard. Even when we don't understand it. Even when I want to literally bash them with the hammer, I'm going to pray for them instead. And if y'all don't have those moments in your marriage, I'm sorry. I think you should. You know, and and maybe I'm wrong and I need counseling. I don't know. Um, But but listen, you shouldn't look like the Stepford Wives. You know, I'm I'm perfect and look at me and your dinner's ready. And No, there should be some tension because tension causes growth. You didn't live with this person for so much of your life. And then you expect everything to just be perfect when you, when you move in together? No. I thought I knew Stephanie pretty well. And there were things as we got married and moved in to, to, with each other that were like, oh, this drives me insane. How, how do I address this? It's, it's, it's the learning how to have a godly character in the middle of all those relationships, in the middle of those moments, whether it's marriage or work, with kids. And Mordecai, he lives this example out for Esther so that when Esther has to make hard decisions, she goes back to what she, has been modeled for her. What are we modeling for the people in our lives? What are we modeling for the next generation If we want a generation to to love Jesus and and enjoy church, then we've got to show them that church is enjoyable and that being a Christian and and being in community with other believers is enjoyable. Lastly, the, the third thing that we can learn from Mordecai is good fathers challenge their children to live for a purpose. I love this point. It's tough. You are not supposed to just be your, 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 your kid's friend. More times than not, under the age of 18, they, you're not, don't be their friend. Just say it that way. I wasn't my parents' friend at 17. My parents were like, hey, let's go hang out. Hey, we're going to do this together. Like, no, I'm not. You're my parents. Nothing to do with you. Love you, but it was just, you know, and, and it's the same with most of us. I mean I loved them and I loved hanging out with them when when you know at whatever gatherings that we had to be but but I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to you know I wanted to do the things. And as I got older I realized that it, it was because I had values and I had rules that I had to uh, live with that my other friends did not have. I didn't like that. Right? And and so but they were breathing purpose into my life by saying there's guidelines and there's, there's, there's regulations, there's rules that you have to abide by that are going to make you a better human being. And I didn't get it. I didn't get why my friends wanted to hang out with at my house. It was because they had no rules and they had no real uh, guidelines that showed them that somebody cared for them. And at my house, we had that. I didn't like it, but that's because I lived in it, Right? And when news gets out uh, that Haman, through the king, has ordered the death of all the Jewish people, Mordecai challenges Esther to use her position to save the people. He challenges her to live for a purpose. And we're going to read quite a few verses here, so just hang out with me. Um, We're going to read the first uh, part of Esther 4. And it's probably the part that most of us have, if we've read Esther, this is the part that we remember. It says this, When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and he went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter well. By the way, this is a Jewish culture thing, that when, when, when something spiritually was bad, they would rip their clothes, they would pour ashes over the head, and they would, they would fast and they would mourn publicly so that people would know. Okay? He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the providences, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted and wept and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maid and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. But look what she tries. She tries to fix it the wrong way first. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. She said, listen, listen, let's just, let's just act like it's okay, though. He said, no, 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 no. I, I didn't raise you that way. We're going to address the situation. And you're going you're gonna to have a part to play in this, darling. Then Esther sent for Hathik one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant, she ordered him to, get to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathach went to, out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai, Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked him to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told him to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. And now we're getting this conversation between Mordecai and Esther. It says, all the king's officials and even the people in the providence know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called me for, uh, to come to him for 30 days. that so gave Esther's message to Mordecai, and Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, the deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. He's literally saying, if you stay quiet, I'm going to die too. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just a time as this. He did not back down and give hard truths in the moment where hard truths were needed. So many times we're, we're you know, and, and I, I never say things like this quite right because I'm just kind of blunt, but, um, you know, we, we have catered to a culture for the younger generation that has made them feel like they can't hear hard truths. We'd rather patty cake and give them uh, false hopes and false narratives than to just tell them like Mordecai did Esther. No, no, darling. You may be in a place where you have authority and you may have some 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 pull, but I promise you that when God does what He does, if you don't use your position to to promote Him, He's going. He's not going to save you. Oh. This generation, you, you think that you can bend on God's word to, to fit your emotional health and to fit whatever the culture is saying, and, and you'll just write it into the Bible? Well, God is love. Well, That's a false lie of how you're using it. But uh, it's okay. They, it, it, it's, it's just how they are. If God, if God is love, then he loves all. Well, yes, he does, but he also has justice, and, and, and he's going to rightfully, rightfully, Do what he does. I don't have to tell people, well, you're bad, and you're good, and you're bad, and you're good. That's God's job. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to tell a culture that's coming up underneath me, well, yeah, just go ahead and believe what everybody else is believing. Do what everybody else is doing because, you know, you're right. God is love, and God cares, and God's all these good qualities, but we're not going to talk about the righteousness and the right living of God and the choosing to choose right things. We have a culture war that is, that is facing biblical standards. And if you don't believe that, we're sitting at the, at the pre- precedence of where Mordecai is with Esther in our own generation, and we could lose a next, a next young generation by not standing on biblical principles. And it has nothing to do with calling out people for being bad. It's all about calling out God's character and having it come forth. We will lose a generation if we believe Biblically, godly character is not lived out every single day. That's why you have people in church that says, "Well, why can't somebody be gay, lesbian, transgender, and love Jesus? Why why can't why why can't they you know go and 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 and, and do drugs and get drunk and, and love Jesus?" Well, why can't they uh, you know, say these words or listen to these, these things or allow these things into their life? Or, or why can't they just mix Jesus and Buddha together? Because the Bible says right from wrong. Not me. Like, it's not Scott's line. It's not Scott's morality. It's not Scott's culture shift to, to do. It's not yours. And it, it's not our job to condemn either. Those that are sinners are going to sin, Newsflash. And that's where, for me, the frustration becomes is that that we're trying, instead of changing people's hearts, we're trying to change legislation. Let me say that again. might tick some of you off. We are so focused on preaching God into legislation rather than preaching God into people's hearts. Legislation will never change the hearts of people. It'll just tell them what to do. And the people that like to do the right thing will always do the right thing. And the people that don't care will always do the wrong thing. You cannot legislate God into somebody's heart. What you can do is you can live it out like Mordecai, and you can allow it to show them what true, authentic Christianity looks like and so that they want that. There's no amount of rules that will guide them closer to Jesus, but there is in relationship. That's what Mordecai does for Esther. He says, listen, I have raised you in a way that you know the truth, and now I'm calling you to live it when it's hard. Esther wrestles with being accepted. She wrestles with her purpose. And Mordecai challenges his daughter to live up to the calling of God of her life and not down to the culture in which she lives because God will use someone if he refuses, if we refuse our purpose. God will use somebody else to fulfill his purpose. Esther is confronted with this in a loving way. Daughter, don't think for a moment that God has not given you a purpose here. Don't waste it because he will find somebody else if you say no. We've got to raise up the next generation. We've got to raise up our friends and family. We've got to raise up our peers to hear the truth in love and kindness and know that there's a good God that wants good things in their life, but he has given them a purpose, and it does come sometimes with a hard line draw. We all have a for such a time as this moment. And sometimes we need a Mordecai, a father figure, a mother figure, a, 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 a peer that, that that can speak into our lives to speak up The truth. Fathers should want kids to succeed, not just financially or with their families. Be happy, but fulfill God's purpose in their lives. Parents, let me speak to you. Future parents. Your greatest job is not to create successful Americans. It is to create people who fall in love with Jesus first. we'll lead a lot of people through success that'll go straight to hell because they think that money is their God. Or a big house and a nice car is their God. And all of that is great, but at the end of the day, listen, money won't mean nothing in heaven. The streets of gold. And what the Bible is really saying that I really hope it's streets of gold. That would be really cool. But what the Bible is saying is the things that you think are so important are just gonna be like dirt in heaven. The things we fight for tooth and nail, the things that we think mean so much on earth, man, it is, it is but nothing but creative playground for God. We get up there, there's going to be colors that we don't even know what to do with. Colorblind people are going to be so excited. Oh my God, is this what earth was like? We're going to get up there. and Listen, I'm excited. I'm like, God, I think there's some creative things that he never put on earth that are going to be in heaven. We're going to be like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Why? And all all he is trying to get us to pinpoint out is this is not our home. This is not the end result. If I die for the cause of Christ, then so be it because I know that there's an eternal value somewhere else with him. So so parents, fathers, fathers, let me me speak to you on Father's Day. You have such a vital role. I said this the other day. um, I believe I said this the the other week, that that a household that follows a father who who follows Jesus is 84% more likely that everybody in that household will follow Jesus. And when it's just the mom, only 17%. Mom that doesn't devalue you. It just shows the, the spiritual value of a father who loves Jesus. We've got to get over this, uh, the, the equality aspect of this, because moms, you play a, a vital role that we will never be able to meet. But a spiritual household ran by their father will change people's lives. We need men to step up and live biblical, godly lives and stop relying on the ladies to do that for their kids and for the church. We have a great mixture. I'm proud of our church. I'm proud that we have men that love Jesus, that are willing to serve, that are willing to show up, that are willing to do the things. That a lot of churches have 80% women in their uh, church, and they're trying to run men's ministries with sneaking women because there isn't even enough men to show up and do the things. How do you expect young men to follow when there's no men to look at? I'm proud of our church. That we look around, and there are many men, many fathers, many, many guys that are saying, I want to follow Jesus, and I want the world to know that I am going to live to the closest that I can to him. It's important that men live it out. So we know the end of the story. They pray for three days. They fast. Haman, uh, I I love, I love how the story ends because, because the king, um, the queen goes before the king and, and she she does what she, listen, ladies, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. When you need a man's attention, there's like two ways to a man's attention. You're going to look good or you're going to cook something good. You'll get our attention. I promise you. Okay. And so what does she do? She gets all dolled up. She, because the Bible says she was very, very pretty. So she gets, she's like, oh, he's going to notice me. And he, she waits outside the king's court until he sees her and he invites her in. And she, she goes before him and says, I want, listen, she doesn't say, I need you to do this. Hey, I know, I, you got me here. Okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to save the Jewish people. No, what does she do? She goes, king, all I want to do is cook you lunch. Oh, well, shoo. Okay. Can you invite Haman with you? Now, Haman's starting to get a big head. Oh, yeah. I was invited with the king and queen. They have lunch. And then the king at lunch says, hey, so what do you want? Now that I've seen you pretty and I've been fed by you, what do you want? And she goes, will you have dinner with me tomorrow night? Sure. Haman, will you come too? Now Haman's like, oh, yeah. Um, I'm the man. I'm the man. He goes home and he starts telling his family, Oh my gosh, this is so great. Well, the king can't sleep that night. And the king starts wrestling. You know what he does? What do you do when, 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 when you want to fall asleep? You put something boring on, right? Whether it's TV or, or uh, music or, or you put something that's going to put you to sleep. So what does he do? He asks for the records to be read to him, he asks for the newspaper to be read to him. And what, what do they read? By chance. When, Haman, or when Mordecai saved the king, and the king goes, wait a minute. Did we ever do anything for Mordecai? I'm like, no. The next morning, Haman rolls in. He's like, what's up, king? He goes, hey, Haman, I was wondering, what, how should, if we were going to honor somebody, would you honor them? And here's, here's, here's what egotistical, narcissistic people do. He's like, oh, the king wants to honor me. I'm having lunch with them. I'm having a dinner with them. Now he wants to honor me. He goes, man, king, I'd put a robe on him that, that you've worn. I'd put the crown on that you've worn. I'd put him on one of your horses, and then I would take one of your servants, and I'd prance him around town saying about how great he is. He goes, great. I want you to do that for Mordecai. <laughs> Haman is Human. He builds a 75-foot-tall uh, s- stick with a, yeah, gallow, with a point on it. Like, he's like, I'm going to put this man's head on a pole. Could you imagine? He hates this guy. He has a death date for him, and now he is marching him around by a horse with all the king's stuff going, Mordecai is so great. Mordecai is so wonderful. The king loves Mordecai. They get to dinner. And the king asks, Queen, what is it that you want? He says, I want to know why you want to kill my people. Could you imagine being faced with that by your wife? He was so stunned and angry, and she looks at Haman, and she goes, you're allowing him to kill my people. He gets up, and he's angry, and he leaves the, the dinner. And when he comes back, he finds Haman begging Esther, please, please don't, don't do this to me. I'll do anything. But what it looks like is that he's advancing on her. And now he's even more mad. And now Haman doesn't get a say. And to be the kicker of it, Mordecai takes his place as the right-hand man to the king. See, we should never underestimate the influence of a good father. Reese, you can come up. That's what I want to, 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 I want to leave you with. Dads, spiritual fathers, every man in this room, you have a purpose in, 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 in turning around and in raising up the next generation, whether it's your own or, or somebody else's. When they're in this house, they are a part of the house of God, and our, our job is to live it out. Live it out to our coworkers and our friends, our family members, our, you know, everybody that we come. We, we have a responsibility to live out the goodness of God to everybody. Never underestimate the influence that you have. One of the most shocking statistics that I ever read that I, that I relay to teenagers for many, many years as a youth pastor was that at any given time, you have 10 people looking at how you're making decisions. It's a national statistic. At any given moment in your life, you have at least 10 people. Some of you are going, I don't even have 10 friends. How are they looking at me? You don't even know who's looking at you. Looking at how how do you make decisions? How, how do you respond to the, the the bad things in life? What are the most important things in your life? And they're looking at all of those things, and they are it's helping them decide what life should look like and what values they should have. Bible says, don't underestimate the influence that you have because the eyes that you don't see looking at you. Mordecai, the only person he was worried about was what, Esther. But you, how many people do you think looked at Mordecai because of how he raised Esther? Said, man, that Mordecai, that dude's so cool. He's got it guy I like Mordecai. He, he always seems to have a coolness about him, even in a tough situation. Can you imagine how many Jewish people were freaking out and Mordecai's over here going, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. I'm gonna, listen, God's got a plan. Calm down. And I talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we walked through bankruptcy and lost our house and da-da-da-da-da, and everybody was running. Oh, Pastor, I'm so sorry. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm, good. I'm good. We got a house. We, got, we're, we're good. we are good. How can you be like this? Because it's just stuff. Because I know who my God is. It's because I don't want my kids to think that things are more important than God. I don't want people that I'm raising up spiritually to think that that, that things, that money, that, that, that stuff can shift my, my viewpoint of, of trusting God in the moment. And if I trust God in the good, I need to trust him in the bad, in the struggle, that, that when all things are good for me on a, on a uh, uh, political level, right, because the church was living in some good heydays at times, I ain't gonna lie, even recently, right, I'm not saying I'm a big Trump fan, I'm just saying that some of the things and people that he put in place, it was beneficial for the church. We had some good protection. And right now, like, no, like, they're, they're like, they, they hate, like, there's a lot of people that are out to get us. That's why I get so frustrated with the churches because instead of saying we need to to live out godly character and value, we start running back to the, we need to get this person in power. They have no control over my spiritual life. In fact, the Bible says that that it's the persecuted church that will show off eternity better than the the non-persecuted church. You think China is growing in crazy numbers in the church and it's illegal there. Think about that for a moment. Their church is growing exponentially at a rate that doesn't even come close to what we are and we have the freedom to do it because we're comfortable, because it's easy. And they know just to be caught with one page of the Bible will get them killed. One page, its all it will take. Could you imagine? I mean, literally, could you imagine walking around, like not even with the Bible in your hand, You're walking around with a folded up page of the book of John. And if you're caught with it, it's death. Most of us have like multiple Bibles in our house. How do we do? I mean, this one stays at the church for the most part. But I'll look at when I'm here. Why? Because we got more at the house. I've got it on my phone. We have this Freedom. And the next generation can get more comfortable if we don't live it out in front of them. A the call to be a Mordecai. Raise up a next generation. He was an adopted dad. He didn't have to. He chose to. So let's choose. Just like Mordecai, let's choose to give value to every person that we have in our lives whether they're a child, whether a friend, a co-worker, that we start to, to pour into them like Mordecai did with Esther and live out biblical value so that people go, I want that. I want what you've got. Will you pray with me? I first want to say a prayer for you dads. So if you're a dad in the room, I want you to, to stand up. I want to pray for you. Father, we pray for these dads. It's your heart. You are a good father. So you have called us to be a good father. Not a perfect, we are not perfect like you. And I know that every man standing has made their fair share of mistakes. God, I pray that their mind would not hold them to their mistakes. But God, they, their mind would be renewed to know that they want to live like Jesus. They want to make decisions with, with, with godly principles and morals and values in mind. God, they want their kids to see the best of Jesus in them and not the worst of ourselves in us. God, I bless them. Because they love you. They are here. They are in the fight for their families. They are in the fight for for eternity. They are in the fight for their community and their church. And God, I thank you for that. And I pray, God, that we would continue to lock arms as men to raise up our families and the next generation and our community to know the goodness of God. God, continue to give them that fight when the enemy wants to come at them, that they will live out Ephesians 6. They will prepare the battle with the right gear. Prayer and your word, holiness, Christian community will be the things that hold us together so that we can lead well. We bless these fathers. Bless their their coming and going. Bless their working hard and 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 providing for their families. Bless the ability to have conversations and and to show love and to show strength and to know that those aren't mutually exclusive, but they can can be worked in together. We thank you for these fathers. God, I thank you for every other person here that we can live out these principles as we talked about with Mordecai, raising up the next generation as our own. God, we bless you, Father, today, and we ask for a great week ahead of opportunities to share with people your goodness. We love you. I thank you, God, for those that give tithe and offering. I pray that you would continue to do what you can do, what only you can do here, as we reach our community. We love you, Father. We thank you. In your name we pray, amen. (music)